Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stars and Startups podcast with me, Varun Gupati. This is the podcast we get up close and personal with interesting founders and doers from the Indian startup ecosystem. On the podcast, we hear illuminating stories of entrepreneurship and the journey of building businesses. Healthcare is a coveted space for tech startups in India, not because it's a hard problem, but because of the enormity of challenges you could solve and the sheer size of white spaces that are available to be solved. 1MG is probably the forefront of really understanding health data with over 90 million users on their platforms. I have a super fun chat with Gaurav Agarwal, the CTO and co-founder of 1MG, on his time in the valley and how 1MG is working towards making healthcare affordable and accessible. I really appreciate if you take a moment to subscribe to my channels wherever you are consuming this podcast and share our episode with others if you enjoyed it. Okay, enjoy the show. Uh hey guys, today we have Gaurav Agarwal of uh, 1MG. Uh let's say hi. Hey Gaurav, welcome to the show. Uh thank you so much for having me. No, I'm super excited uh you know when I first got started uh, on the internet more or less and I started enjoying doing things on the internet one of the first companies I interacted with was Facebook and of course Google and um I think a lot of guests will probably remember your company uh, in between you know your I would say your long term gig and now your current long term gig which was uh, yeah. Zynga right yeah uh, so there was this phase when i was using facebook and it would show me oh you received a purple cow or you know some cow <laughs> has strayed into your yard or or something of that sort uh, if my memory serves yeah. me right yeah that was yeah. a defining moment i think in a lot of people's utilization of facebook because i truly believe that was the first phase of casual gaming uh um, yeah in a lot of ways uh, of course there was yeah. the web 1.0 casual games which was like you know pixelated web games yep, where they yep. re- replicated ping pong and all these other things um but i think truly farmwell uh, from zynga was a defining moment for mankind <laughs> on the internet <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't know about um, mankind but yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty slick and pretty defining for its time i would i would probably leave it at that <laughs> um tell me something you were for a long time uh, at a company called netapp and by long yeah. time there was 9 years and yeah. you chose yeah. to go to a a gaming company uh, yeah i'm sure for for great reasons but i'd love to hear how that transition happened yeah mm-hmm. no uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a funny story actually uh, both staying at netapp for a really long term and then uh, moving on to zynga so you know i graduated from id delhi 2001 i got a gig at netapp uh, working out of the bay area so very fortunate that way uh, i land uh, i land at netapp i uh, start working you know 3 years in typical you know young kid behavior 2 uh, and a half 3 years in i got bored so I was like you know uh, i need to do something more interesting tougher harder whatever need to do a join a startup so i i went and joined a i i think a 40 50 person startup at the time uh, and because my my background was enterprise uh, i went into enterprise again and the startup was doing uh, you know really cutting edge uh, security so they were making these 
high-end uh, buyer speed encryption devices. So like an FPGA security chip. And they were, the customers were actually, you know, National Security Agency and the big bank. So like, like really advanced uh, stuff and uh, things that most people probably haven't even heard of. You know, there was Federal Information Processing Standard, FIPS 140-3. And so I joined it. It was very fascinating. And the, and the founder was this, this really inspirational guy who'd done uh, uh, other hardware startups before. So I joined that. A friend of mine joined that startup as well. And uh, um, within a month, that startup got acquired by Netta. So, so, <laughs> so you, know, you went back to the mothership. I went back to the mothership. And people people at Netta used to joke that you can never leave. Because if you leave, they need to come and acquire you. And so so I, I, I tried leaving after three and a half years. I, I couldn't. And then, you know, for, for another couple of years, it was actually very interesting because they kept the company separate. I was working on, you know, really uh, very interesting security stuff, ski management, et cetera. And then I was growing a lot. And because NetApp was such a hardcore technology company, there was very little differentiation between an engineer and a product manager, meaning engineers did a lot of, lot of innovation from a product standpoint as well. So it was very exciting. But the big, big challenge that I saw at NetApp was I felt there was this other world which was, which was running at this really breakneck speed, uh, shipping products every month, every week, every quarter. And, you know, at NetApp, uh, we used to take a year and a half to ship something. And oh, I, what happened was I used to work on multiple projects and they were all, you know, the next generation stuff. So I worked on next generation enterprise search systems and next generation this and next generation that but by the time we got around to shipping the projects got canned uh, because it took so long to ship anything it, it, the markets changed and the strategies changed and uh, and uh, they would just just cancel the product so you know after eight and a half years i i decided that you know this is not what i want to do with life and i wanted to be someplace where things moved a lot faster and I think, to be very honest, uh, and NetApp, by the way, is a great place. You know, the kind of intellectual stimulation that you could get there, the kind of products you could work on, was just mind blowing. And I realized, I decided that there were two things missing. One was the pace at which we worked, and the second was, um, you know, getting customer feedback on the products that we mm-hmm. built. And for both of those things, I wanted to uh, wanted to do something new. Mm-hmm. So. So a friend of mine had just joined Zynga and uh, it's funny, he reached out one day and he said, are you, are you ready to do some real work again? And uh, I said, yeah, I've been looking for some real work for a little bit now. <laughs> and he said, okay, come, I'm, I'm uh, come interview. I'm, I'm done building shelfware. Uh, let's start doing yeah, I'm done building shelfware. Yeah. So I went interviewed and, you know, compared to NetApp, this is, this is 2010. Right, and uh, Zynga had a runaway hit in Farmville. I think they were touching 30 million uh, daily active users a day, and uh, and Zynga was just another level of crazy. Like I had never seen anything like that in my life ever. And uh, you know, they interviewed me. The whole interview process was like a, you know, for lack of a better word, shit show. Meaning. They were trying to find people. Systems were were on fire. 
and engineers had to weave in between. And I just loved the energy. It was, it was, you almost like felt alive. And the thing I loved about, uh, the thing I loved about Zynga and uh, the whole interview process was, they, they, nobody claimed they knew what they were doing, but they were there to figure it out and enjoy the ride, right? I, and, and, you know, it's, it's unfair to say they didn't know what they were doing. I think they knew very well what they were doing. Um, and I, I love the fact that there was an opportunity to actually work very closely on building something that consumers would, would either love or hate. And you could get very quick customer feedback. And uh, thankfully, fortunately, I made it through the interview process. For throughout the interview process, I didn't know what I was interviewing for, right? Mm. And uh, because it was the gaming industry, they had their own connotations on what, you know, engineering managers, et cetera, did. So someone said it's an engineering manager position. Someone said it's a director position. Someone said it's, a, it's some other position. And I was like, okay, whatever. I, I was just like so eager to get out and do something else. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, you know, a few weeks later, they called. They said, look, uh, we have this game called Farmville. And uh, this game is looking for an engineering manager. Uh, would you like to join? And I was like, sure. So anyways, that's how the journey started. <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> you know, you would think Zynga was, Zynga was 900, I think almost 900, maybe 1,000 people at the time. So I land in. There's some orientation where they give me stuff. And then I land in the studio. So they used to call these gaming studios. Hmm. And you know, in gaming studio, I was shocked. There was there was no one to welcome me. There was no one to orient me. And I said, "Hey, I just joined today. I'm supposed to be an engineering manager." I found one of the guys who interviewed me. He said, "Hey, here's the desk. Make yourself comfortable." And you know, I sat there, and I, I came, of course, from a big company which had all these processes and everything. And I just sat there. Then I said, "Hey, where's my manager? Who's supposed to? Oh, your manager is on a on a one week leave." I was like, what the, what the hell, man? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and then I said, where's my manager's manager? And my manager's manager knew that there was someone supposed to join, but he didn't really, like, know or care or whatever. So I just sat there for a few days. And I said, okay, let me just figure it out. So so that's how I ended up at, at Zynga and, uh, and on Formal. And that, was, that exactly describes my first day. Uh, you know, messy crappy carpet studio <laughs> where I didn't know what I was doing and nobody really cared what I was there to do. So, yeah. so when you join Palmville, rather when you join Zynga and you know, you're joining the Palmville team, did you know what Palmville was at that time? I, I did. I did. So, so one of my biggest reasons to even interview at Zynga was, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, because, See, up until that point, there was a very clear distinction between gamers and non-gamers, right? Like gamers were the guys who went to GameStop, bought these, you know, released yeah. their DVDs, uh, played them on these gaming consoles. Yeah. And yeah. Zynga truly, there have been attempts before, but Zynga truly and Facebook platform uh, basically just made it a, for the first time, you know, got it into the consciousness of people where anyone could be a gamer. So I was fascinated, and and I found that there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of people who had actually done these uh, you know philosophical sort of studies and humanities uh, papers, etc. So I knew about Zynga. I knew about you know the lonely cow, which you referred to as well, uh, the lonely cow, the lonely sow, which wandered you know on your farm, etc. 
and I, I learned about those things. And and what really drew me to Zynga was was uh, was this sort of belief that if I went to Zynga, I would fundamentally learn about how consumer products are built. Right, that was my belief. And so I knew about it, and, I, and that I, I I was very fortunate. I never thought I would get the chance to work on a fossil, uh, but but you know life was kind. What did you end up doing at Zynga, though? Um, were you yeah. managing managing that piece? And and it must have been yeah. uh, like you said, it was a uh, it was crazy uh, with twenty yeah. thirty million uh, DAUs, uh, daily active users, or or something. That must have been crazy, yeah. especially as an engineering manager. Uh, from from yeah, not yeah, having yeah. production level code or rather products in production to having something that's you know literally falling apart yeah. every few hours. It, it was crazy. It was crazy. So let me let me tell you about my first day. So the first day I go in, of course, nobody could care less about me. But there was a lot of commotion, and I was like, "What is this commotion going on?" So people said, "Oh, we are running. Uh, we are testing our sales." So for the first time, I think uh, actually second time, I think they were doing a sale on the whole platform. And uh, they had made a bet with uh, with Mark, who was uh, Zynga's founder and CEO at the time. They had made a bet with Mark Pinkus. Yeah. Mark Pinkus, yeah. So they had made a bet with Mark uh, that if they hit, uh, if they crossed, I think two or three million dollars in a day. I think maybe two or three. I don't remember now. Then uh, they would all go to Vegas. So this this seemed to be the way to celebrate at Zynga. Of course, there was a sale going on. And uh, they crossed. I think, if I remember correctly, they crossed five million dollars that day, one day. Mm. Okay. And uh, the first day you join a game, you cross five million bucks, right? I I had never ever been exposed to a product that could do revenue like that. And uh, we went to Hawaii. Okay, we didn't go to Vegas. We went to Hawaii as nice. a team. So <laughs> so that was my first day experience. Now I joined. Uh, I joined as an engineering, as a director of engineering. So we had a team of around forty people, forty fifty people, uh, split between two directors, and then we had a had a vice president of engineering. They were called like producers uh, to some okay. extent, or CEO, chief operating mm-hmm. officer. So it was each studio was set up as its own functioning like business, if you will. Mm-hmm. So there was a CEO who was uh, founders. You know, studio CEO, and then there was a chief operating officer. The chief operating officer looked at you know everything uh, production-wise, and then mm-hmm. under the COO, one of the teams was engineering, and I led part of the engineering team. Now, as an environment, everything at Zynga was quick. So, you know, three months in, I found that three months, maybe six months in, I found that my uh, chief operating officer moved to another team. Another three months in, my peer moved to another team. So first, I took over the whole team. Uh, in a year's time, uh, I became the chief operating officer of the game, and then in another few, I think six months' time, I became the general manager or the CEO of the game. So that was that was like the journey, and it all happened in a very very uh, quick time frame. So yeah. In in your mind, you must be thinking like, you know, what did happen in nine years has happened in six months. Um, you know, yeah, but you know, it was so it was so exciting, and uh, I realized that 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 you know there were no bars. Like the thing I loved, and I still love about Zynga, is that there were no bars on what you could or anyone could do. I, mean, I think hats off to that team. Um, 
if you demonstrate it, so I remember, I still remember there was a Zynga value, which is also a 1MG value, and I'm very proud that I copied it off of them, <laughs> is to be a CEO. And Zynga took being a CEO to extreme. Like if you were a CEO, you were expected to break walls, break down barriers, and just get shit done. And it was amazing the kind of, like, not brash, but direct culture that we had. Like, if you didn't like something, you said it to people's faces. You got it. You just got it done. And it was amazing. It was amazing. There were, there were a lot of things which were not good about, uh, probably, or, or not as mature about that place as well. But, but, you know, the culture was amazing in my view. I'm, I'm guessing the last sentence you just, uh, you know, kind of said it in passing. Uh, has a lot more weight because Mark Pincus is known to be a very brash guy. So it's kind of top down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark, Mark, uh, I loved working with Mark. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's a great guy and, uh, you know, he's, he's completely unfiltered. He, to, to his credit, I think they tried to get him to be a little more filtered later on, but he's completely unfiltered. He would come to our meetings and, he would just say stuff that was on his mind, you know. He was like, you know, uh, if if your if your job's dependent on it, then you would maybe try harder. And he was he was right, you know. He was always looking for results. And the amazing thing is that, you know, you I, I was I was fairly I was senior, but you know, not that senior when I started out. Hmm. You know, there were I was director of engineering. There was a COO. There was a VP. There was an SVP, and then there was Mark, right? But but you sent Mark an email and, and he would respond in five minutes, right? And it's amazing to have, have a guy like that. You send him anything and he would respond. You ask him for time and he would set up time. And I think that was the other thing which was just amazing about Zynga was that everyone was so approachable um, across the board. And I, I think that was, that was really fascinating. And folks I worked with, uh, like a lot of what I learned on consumer products and data-driven decision-making, I learned from Zynga. I mean, we were anal about data. There used to be this this organization that, that one of the co-founders of Mark had set up, which was called the Central Product. And okay. every team had to present what they were doing in Central Product. And uh, people would get ripped apart in that product meeting. And, uh, you know, if you got ripped apart, then it was like a badge of honor because, uh, you know, you someone felt that you were important enough to actually tear into you, right? And it was just, just amazing. Yeah, just amazing. It, it was called center of product in the sense there was like a, a central committee where they would review product? <laughs> no, they, they didn't. They never reviewed products. So you, that would have been very slow, but they reviewed learning some products. Hmm. So they said, if you did something, we want you to come present what you learned. And whether you learned the right things or not. And if you didn't learn anything, we want you to come and present why did you not learn anything. So it was, it was amazing. So you went and you presented experiments. Uh, if, if teams, if teams did an A-B test, right? Or they presented data where they could not highlight that the data was good because of selection bias, then, mm-hmm. you know, expect to be yelled at, you know, so a lot of these terms around selection bias, you know, pure AB, double controls, et cetera, are all things that, you know, I learned for the first time. I think. And they were, they were so good at it, like almost religious, honest. And I felt that at Zynga, at least in the product, there was so much intellectual honesty, at least on the farm team, there was a lot. And we used to pride ourselves on it, that we were intellectually honest. Uh, if something was off, then 
then we never took it lying down and that was that was amazing um, that that's really um, you know new learning for me uh, the way that some of these companies uh, you know build product i i worked in the us as well a little bit uh, yeah you were based in san francisco right at this point i was yeah uh, yeah yeah you were based in san fran so when when i was working in the us and you know this is uh, on the east coast i didn't interact with product teams or dev teams because i worked in a, a fin services company right uh, okay at merillinch you have a different process you're working with that's right that's financial, right yeah so when i hear these stories like you know for me i'm i'm a lot more fascinated because on the uh, operation side and on on a fin services side there are different learnings different kind of uh, ways yeah. in which you approach uh, solutions yeah. um so at the same time you're on the on the west coast and all these amazing things are happening um and i think yeah. very few people from the valley have come to india bringing some of those concepts right otherwise i think maybe india <laughs> would be like <laughs> building different tech by now yeah yeah no i agree i think uh, i i think it's less about bringing you know i i strongly believe and uh, i have now been in india since 2014 right where the startup ecosystem was in a very different state in the sense that there were startups but they were not you know at scale startups they were all sub scale small startups you know if you look at one ng today right. serving we served 90 million users last year you, you look at a health card uh, probably the largest nutrition one of the largest nutrition companies in the country we've all probably not where we still want to be but uh, you know from a scale standpoint we are large you know if you look at a swiggy's amount of doing 30 40 million orders a month i feel that a lot of these innovations whether product or process innovations that you do they are sort of necessity is the mother of invention right mm-hmm. uh, at zinga we needed to to make all these things because crap the product was going like growing 10% week on week that was on month on month mm-hmm. and there was no way in hell that you could figure out some of these things so a lot of and i feel that i'm starting to see in the indian ecosystem also some of these innovations come around you know when i speak with my peers uh about some of these things the conversations that we had 5 maybe 6 years ago versus the conversations we have now it's almost like we've all been battle hardened and have become much better at at uh, some of these uh, some of these points so i i think very good about the ecosystem here today you're right uh, in 2013 to 2015 there was a shift from just purely e-commerce to a lot more product driven companies and if we see a lot of the successful ones today who are uh, you know if you are measuring only by valuations you probably have a lot more companies that were started during that time that you know, right. were not e-commerce but uh, yep. you know were able to get venture investors to look at them even though they're not going after just the indian audience going for a global audience uh, yeah uh, at that scale so yeah when you were in this phase of you know exciting growth lot of uh, you know and, and and i'm sure very few people can claim that they've done 90 million users of the served 90 million users in passing right uh, yeah <laughs> what what did prashant your co-founder at 1mg uh, now and at healthcard back then what did he tell you to let you leave that uh you know 30 million dau business uh to move to india yeah. no actually so prashant and i go back a long time so we were uh 
you know, we were batchmates in college. And then uh, Prashant uh, did his MBA from Stanford. And we used to live in the Bay Area, so and uh, actually in the city at the time. So he was like, he used to live uh, maybe four, five streets away. So he used to hang out all the time. And, uh, you know, my decision to leave, actually, uh, my decision to leave the Bay Area was independent. And uh, it was driven, you know, Zinga was great, but after you do that for two and a half years, you also learn whether it is for you or not. And I learned a few things. One is that gaming is not for me. It's uh, it's like making a movie and hoping it would be a success every time. And I realized that that's not that's not my mental frame. Like my mental frame is actually much more long term and looking at things that would continue to scale and sustain. And uh, honestly, I was burnt out. So I wanted to do something. And you know, Bay Area is an interesting place. And I've said this before in a couple of other places as well that. I felt I was living in an unreal or, or a utopia, right? Where, where there was no hunger, no poverty, everyone was well fed. And, uh, and I just wanted to do something which was more worthwhile. And I would, I would speak with entrepreneurs and they would say they're changing the world uh, by doing X, Y, and Z. And then I would talk to folks in India where, you know, the world was very different. And it was, it was very sobering where you can say that I was, I was looking for two things at the time. Uh, first thing that I was looking for that was being closer to family. So we just had, you know, our child. And I didn't want her to grow in this sort of sanitized environment. So I wanted her to be closer to family, etc. And the second was, I honestly was looking for some meaning in life. You know, meaning that was beyond uh, connecting people through games or connecting people through social networks. I felt that there was more that we could do. and. Uh, so I decided to move back and uh, because family was the primary reason, uh, when given a choice, I knew that I had to move back to Delhi because, you know, that's where uh, my wife's family is from and uh, my parents live in Kanpur. That's where I'm originally okay. from. So I called up Prashant and I said, look, uh, I've never, I've never worked in India. So my biggest concern was actually not finding, not, not finding a job in India, but you know, if I'm going to work with someone, are they going to have the same ethical, uh, ethics and integrity, you know, bars that I would have? And, you know, with Prashant and, and Samir at HealthCard, I actually had no such concerns. And we were good friends. He said, you know, come try it out. If it works out, great. Otherwise, you know, you'll be settled in and you can see what you want to do next. So that's how I came. And I actually didn't talk to anyone else. You know, it's not like I, I went and shopped around and found the best opportunity, uh, in, in the country. Um, okay. So I, I came, I joined HealthCart. I did that for a year. And then uh, 1NG was, was still a seed of an idea, a very, very strong seed, uh, which had a lot of potential. And then I was fortunate uh, that Prashant asked me if I wanted to co-found it with him when they were splitting out. And I said, yeah, I think it sounds like two gigs. So that's what I did. Super exciting that kind of uh, the transition, right? You yeah. decided... This is not for you. They're like, okay, I get a soft landing uh, and, and get started in the startup ecosystem. Uh, in a way, yeah. that's that's the best way to do it, right? Because you're coming back to the country technically to work uh, after a decade not being here. Uh, suddenly, you yeah. need to get on the lay of the land on what's happening. Uh, <laughs> to say, okay, where do I want to actually end up? Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's pros and cons, right? Meaning... Uh, I think if I had played my cards right, I could have been maybe 
you know, one of these high profile barrier returns at one of these big companies. And I probably would have, uh, in a year or so, I would have returned back to the Bay Area because I couldn't make it work. Um, it, it has, but I, I think I took I took the slow and steady approach where mm. I was clear about what I wanted and I stuck to that. So yeah, you can say in hindsight, I think it it probably was the right way of doing it, and it, I think it worked out reasonably well. Yeah, I, I believe that at that point, uh, a lot of the e-com companies were hiring. Uh, folks yeah. from the valley, yeah. just so that they yeah. can, you know, I think a lot of the times they started e-commerce company, they try to run it, put so much money behind it, but the they were just not able to figure out why they were not able to sell beyond a certain uh, value, and they're like, they thought, yeah. hey, we bring some folks from, uh, you know, <laughs> the Bay Area, <laughs> it might just change the trajectory a little bit. I think there were fairly legitimate reasons to bring folks as well, in the sense that. Uh, you know, a lot of what these companies were struggling to do because they were growing so quickly, uh, they were able to get folks who had probably seen that sort of scale before and knew what to do, right? You can always learn by making sort of mistakes and fumbling your way through things. Or you can actually bring someone who has seen at least some of it before and makes it easier for you. So I think there were reasonably legitimate reasons uh, to bring some of those folks in. Uh, I'm not sure if the folks who came in had equally legitimate reasons to come in uh, because a lot of them uh, didn't stick around for long in the Indian ecosystem. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's a mixed bag again. But to your point, uh, there's two aspects to it, right? One is there's always this uh, aspect of not fitting in in the US and you want to come back and want to say, hey, can I get the same kind of mental stimulation in India which, you know, yeah. I think both, uh, you know, is exciting on one hand. And on the other hand, uh, you're like, maybe I will also be able to grow professionally, uh, which again, yeah. there are a lot more folks now in the US building tech. Uh, it is not the early uh, to mid 80s or the 90s where uh, now all the American Indian CEOs are at, right? It's going to probably, yeah. you're going to be competing with a hundred more 100,000 more Indians for similar coveted positions. Uh, yep. <laughs> so um, India is a great place to bring that knowledge and try to, uh, you know, maybe make something work. And, and you're right. Uh, for some people, it works. For some people, a lot of folks, you know, they want that uh, back because I think professionalities yep. on the tech side, uh, like you brought up the example with Zynga, I'm sure there's a lot more, uh, you know, everybody's on a, on a similar they're contributing equally to improving, say, the product, et cetera, and you're constantly learning. And you look at 2014 and the transition, uh, you transitioned to 1MG in 2015. Yeah, uh, 2015. Yeah. And uh, from what I've read, it was an experiment. 1MG was an experiment within, uh, you know, health card. Within and health card, then, yeah. And then it kind of became, uh, took a life of its own, um, yeah. Were you involved in that phase? Uh, I'd love to understand how that experiment worked because a lot of large companies don't know how to run experiments. No, so actually we didn't either. So, and uh, I'll, I'll be very honest and candid about it. So this experiment was actually Prashant's experiment. And Prashant has always been, uh, you know, the crazy idea guy that he will have this crazy ass idea that none of us will believe. Somehow he will convince us to try it. 
a lot of times they don't work but sometimes it works so so i think uh, health card plus was one such thing where he felt that uh for one of the products even this is even before my time one of the products they built this medicine database and he said look it makes no sense that in india there are these 200000 medicines and even for one like drug there's hundreds of brands each with so many different prices so that i thought that that actually uh, that actually make a information transparency app and just do it so that's that's what they did at the time and i remember that when i joined healthcard uh, <clears throat> prashant wanted me to spend some time on this 1mg or healthcard plus application at the time but there was actually no bandwidth because we were so we were so busy with chasing the revenue targets and goals of healthcard that there was no time and because uh, used to work because my our third co-founder he used to work on healthcard plus and he would have the same concerns that you know we don't neither prashant nor i prashant gave more bandwidth of course uh, neither one of us could give it uh, you know the 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 justice that it deserved you know and uh, what's funny is that we would sit and see that one mg application despite focus despite marketing and when i say despite focus uh, there was some there wasn't a lot uh there were there were three four people working on it at the time despite focus despite marketing just kept growing in terms of downloads you know naturally organically downloads there were some things which were not that great there was a commerce platform that was built it wasn't growing uh because again there was not enough focus and i think we in 2014 we started to have these conversations that it seems like there's a latent need for information in healthcare we had the uh, conversations around you know what does it mean integrated care different aspects etc i i think prashant again to be very honest he had uh, probably the most evolved view because he had been thinking about this problem for many years and he still we still like to rib him that <laughs> when he when he hired vikas uh, he drew the whole vision on like a piece of paper the proverbial napkin the startup napkin <laughs> and uh, we have framed it and given it back to him so and you know a lot of these things were still clear to him at the time you know some things that we still don't do today they were still clear to him and i i don't know if ever we ever do them but you know he had this whole thing stand out so i think between us we were all very excited that it seems like an opportunity which was which which was worthwhile and uh, you know i was to be very honest uh, probably thinking that if i was to give something the next 5 10 years of my life maybe more then what could be worthwhile right and and 1mg was to be very honest again one of the choices that i could get behind and uh, there was something which was tantalizing about 1mg you know the latent sort of need uh, the fact that uh, you know if it worked it could be very satisfying empowering so you know i i joined i came on board and uh, since then you know uh, today if you ask me what would i do if not one ng i don't think i have an answer and i i don't think there can be anything else which could be this satisfying so yeah it's a, it's been a again you know fortunate i would say now super exciting um, just to give you context in 2014 i was coming off my last startup called life dojo and i also spent a little bit of time in the bay area uh yeah well between colorado and bay area and uh, we were doing preventive health and i started okay. looking at 
uh, preventive health in india at that point and uh, you know to to prashant's uh, idea on you know not having the medical database etc i thought it was just low hanging fruit in terms of even if you're not creating commerce there's probably a lot of value you could just add for people understanding what generics actually mean and and what yeah. because i think there's a you know in colloquial uh, utilization you're always using brand names right you're yep, just yep. calling you're saying i'm using in india you know, for sure yeah right yeah. and it becomes commonplace everybody just wants that and you know yeah subconsciously uh, you don't really make it make a choice then right so for me it was like okay generics are available in india it's manufactured in india then why is it not being avail- made available right more easily uh, as far as information yeah. goes and if i remember correctly i tried to find databases that i could build this uh, structure with uh, because i wanted a side project at that time and i was coming off of that startup and this was just before i joined citrus so uh, i had bought a domain name rx now and i said you know what we're going <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. we're going to make this happen uh but you know what like most things it just fizzled out for multiple reasons yeah um yeah uh, so when you uh when now this is game steam you're doing a lot more than just uh you know a medical medicine database uh now you're offering yeah. diagnostics you're offering services uh, i mean i've used the service couple of times by the way and, and i love it uh, i love what you guys have done with some of the new yeah uh, I, i love it like the great it was amazing experience uh the way that the app uh and and the you know uh, how i got the diagnostic information back and what i could get i'm sure you're probably thinking about how to further uh use that information and then give more yeah. but you know as things with product and business go you need to really phase it out and figure out when to do certain yeah. things <laughs> yeah. um but from the way i would look at it you uh have millions of data points now from all the users who have used the set uh and i know that you're doing some work uh with something called uh, triage ai um yeah how does this play in and and i know you are super excited about some of these things so i'd love to get your perspective and what is the yeah. future here uh yeah uh look uh, at a high level you know the way we look at 1mg is that we are trying to create a healthcare platform which solves three core needs of the user right uh, the first need of a healthcare consumer is that around information right because uh, if a consumer is better informed then he makes better better choices you know he is less anxious makes better healthcare decisions you know spends money on care where it needs to be doesn't spend where it doesn't need to be the second uh, we believe a core aspect of healthcare is around access right and this is where india has traditionally been uh, sort of very poor in the sense that you know lots of cities like a mumbai or delhi uh, you get good quality care but the moment you step out uh, it actually falls off a cliff and the third aspect is that around affordability you know you and i can afford probably the best quality care uh, someone who is less fortunate uh, actually you know is left to fend for themselves and it's actually pretty bad uh, and 1mg at 1mg we've always believed that uh empowering consumers to make better healthcare choices is is what we are trying to do we always have and we always will believe that we are consumer centric healthcare company everything that we have done along the way uh through many circuitous routes 
has always been to you know work in these three areas so you know you would think that our information is static but it's not you know we we have a team that is constantly researching figuring out how do we actually make information better for users simpler to use more comprehensive etc uh we have a we have a head of medical affairs whose whose core job is to think about how medical information can change people's lives uh we have a full transaction platform built on top of it which is not just pharmacy um uh, and you know people confuse us with an e-pharmacy but but we we are not an e-pharmacy so pharmacy diagnostic consultations because we think that when a person is sick he doesn't just need medicines right he needs medicines tests diagnostics at different stages in different quantities uh with different needs now um if if you think about it once you have put together an information and a transaction platform right what can you do and eventually in healthcare the holy grail is preventative care right how do you make sure that how do you make sure that you can bundle all the service needs of a patient together right in in one bundle in one uh package if you will how do you how do you make sure that a consumer finds that package affordable so healthcare is also a financial problem uh to some degree and then after that how do you improve clinical outcomes see the the mistake most people make and we we have made it as well is a person who is sick doesn't want to think about sickness right he wants to think about life he wants to carry on continue living the life and what we have to do what we have a responsibility of as healthcare companies is to figure out how they can live their lives and how we can how we can seamlessly integrate with their life and make sure that they make better healthcare choices for themselves right so when you tell a diabetes patient that the only way for him to is to give up all sweets and not enjoy life then it it doesn't see any outcomes right right if you can if you can exercise moderation if you can provide other counseling approaches etc then then maybe there's a balance as possible so what one mg is doing and doing more of every day is figuring out how do we integrate deeper aspects of care in what we are doing so last year we launched a subscription program where we bundled all our services together in one plan today we have we probably run one of the largest uh, healthcare subscription programs in the country we have around uh, 150000 active subscribers on the plan growing 15% month on month um we are extending that plan to to bring in let's say innovative healthcare devices connected devices continuous monitoring devices you know coaches nutrition uh diet doctor we are thinking about omni channel experiences most people don't know that we actually have offline presences well. so we run pharmacies and some of the largest hospitals in the country and through that we basically provide an seamless offline online connect between the patient and the care that they need we do a lot of work with insurance so again uh, folks won't know but in india only has a couple of outpatient insurance programs and their networks are actually serviced by one mg we do a lot of work with pharmaceutical companies around direct to patient uh, therapy access so what one mg is doing is fundamentally getting into more care and more preventive care uh, to talk specifically about data we don't have millions we actually have billions of data points so we have around 5 billion healthcare data points we track everything that a patient does from a healthcare perspective and we use that for a variety of things you know one of the things we use it for is the ai triage engine and what a triage engine does is that it's a probabilistic uh, diagnosis tool so we ask users a set of questions and based on that we can do a provisional diagnosis we don't share it with the doc with the patient we share it with the doctor 
and we we published a paper sometime this year earlier this year it's we've been actually in the process of writing it for a year where we showed that our engine is actually more accurate than a panel of doctors right we did it for a certain specialty but the idea is to continue to innovate in these areas so that technology can actually pick more of the burden of healthcare and reduce yeah. the healthcare ecosystem burden of care right so that's how we think about the healthcare problem so i i want to ask you so many questions because we went through a lot yeah. of aspects yeah. of this. <laughs> but yeah. i i i'm going to pick up a couple of things that you know you had just mentioned uh now you are saying with these 5 billion data points that you have you're able to come up with a way in which you can uh offer some sort of advice uh you know rather at least understand what potential outcomes would look like for a patient yeah. and in yeah. this case you're passing that information to the doctor so that they could potentially uh choose to view so many more patients in a day uh yeah. and then yeah. that will then result in uh better cheaper healthcare for a uh, a billion yep. and a half users uh, yep. so to speak yep. okay yep. i have i have understood that correctly <laughs> um now india does struggle with chronic care and yeah because uh, not only is it expensive it's sometimes late diagnosed and uh, of course management involves multiple visits and uh, you know I, i think patient management becomes a challenge also because for a patient it feels like they are going to a hospital and they're going to get fleeced right um yeah. what's your take on on this and and how are you looking at chronic care from a 1mg and a, and a tech standpoint yeah yeah no that's a great question so you know chronic care is a very tough problem and uh, across the world if you look at chronic care you know in the us and many of the western economies then chronic care gets better because there's a payer involved in the picture right in the us etc there's government insurance companies that are paying that are basically putting people on therapy plans and there's incentives so our core belief is that that for chronic diseases uh, and as i said before so there there are two core beliefs first is that a chronic patient uh, doesn't want to think about his disease right he he he's just so overwhelmed by it right that he has a diabetes or a hypertension that it's best to not think about it as long as it's managed right the problem comes with not with most people not knowing what managed is or means and how it can be managed better right and which is where uh, typically the the stance taken by chronic care management companies is that they take a very aggressive stance to what is management of these diseases so that's that's one realization the second realization is that chronic care is actually as much a healthcare problem as it is a financial problem right because what you're saying is that now you have this chronic condition and you're paying let's say 2000 3000 rupees a month just to manage that condition so you can view these problems separately or you can view them together and realize that chronic care offers a way for you to provide financial incentives to a user right which is much more here and now benefit and actually yeah. get long term care improvement in a patient's life right and so that's that's our you know 50000 foot view that how do we provide financial incentives which one mg is very well positioned to do because we are a transaction platform and use those financial incentives to actually get users to make better healthcare choices 
uh, in terms of information, in terms of adherence, in terms of lifestyle choices, etc. Right. So that's that's sort of the fly view that we've been working on trying to set together. So our subscription program is is the framework on which this fly view is being built. Uh, our transaction platforms are the core foundation, which which you know drive this fly view because now we have we have you know two sided marketplace uh, of yeah. you know consumers on one side and uh, and the providers on the other side. So that's how we look at the problem at a very very high level. Is it? Uh, safe to say that you can become full stack in a healthcare standpoint. So then you can. What does full stack uh, mean? I want healthcare to full stack is very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, you know there are some things that we will never do, right? Or at least as far as I can see, we won't do, right? Like we won't become a hospital. We have no. Clinical expertise to provide tertiary care, surgeries, etc. Right? There are some things that that uh, we may not want to do, like insurance, etc. But I think what we what we want to do full stack wise is we want to make sure that more and more of the care experiences, if possible, gets delivered on the one MG platform. So that's our view of uh, of full stack, right? Where your monitoring is connected to your one MG platform. Your doctor's yeah. advice, in general, is connected to the One MG platform. Even when you go offline, there's a way for us to learn or figure out what happened offline to bring it to the to the One MG platform. So that's what we mean from a from a full stack perspective. That increasingly we want more, we want the digital and non digital divide to sort of go down, and we want more and more of the care to happen seamlessly, if possible, on the One MG platform. So that's what that's how we look at it. More recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had launched a product with Abbott. Yeah. Wait. Uh, which so which you, product? I, is this a recent PR or? Yeah. So um, you launched a continuous glucose monitor with Abbott yeah. about yeah. Uh, a yeah. few days back. Is this yeah. basically fit into that uh, long-term vision where all the monitoring yeah. and all of that comes onto yeah. the platform? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so think of it this way, you know, that, uh, you know, most diabetes patients, for instance, don't know how the daily glucometer, glucose readings, and, and India is actually across the world, but India specifically has really poor, you know, monitoring rates, etc. We've done some surveys, and, uh, you know, most people don't measure the blood glucose, people who are diabetic don't measure the blood glucose even, you know, once a week, let alone once a day. My dad is a diabetic, he, he just bought a glucometer. And he doesn't like to prick himself, which is understandable. You know, why would you want to prick yourself every day? <clears throat> so the idea behind enabling these new age devices, you know, like a CGM. In fact, we are working on another device, which is actually a replacement of a, uh, of, of an ambulatory cardiac, cardiac devi- device. So, sorry, that was a bit, uh, of a, of a, you know, technical term, but you know, uh, typically you don't find how people are doing unless you monitor their stats continuously for some period of time, right? Now, what's happening, typically what happened was that these were very expensive devices and only fitted in hospital settings. But, you know, with the rise of consumer devices, et cetera, a lot of these are becoming accessible and with approvals, you know, FDAC approvals to direct consumers. So one of the areas that we are thinking of, uh, which, which fits into the care plan is how do we bring those devices to give consumers a better sense of what their health looks like by actually continuously monitoring them in an intensive fashion for, let's say, a week to two weeks' time. So this Abbott device, for instance, for 14 days, it continuously monitors your blood glucose. In fact, I have one. I'm getting one installed for myself just to see what the experience is like. 
and uh, then we follow it up with uh, you know a counseling session with a diet coach a doctor to tell people you know where what decisions they could be making better what decisions are already very good and how can they actually manage their condition better or how can they avoid you know india is a diabetes capital of the world we have potentially 100 million diabetics uh, 60 65 million of them diagnosed right so the idea is uh, you know my dad is a diabetic so i have a genetic predisposition probably to getting a type 2 diabetes so these are things that you know we can help patients with better if we can enable yeah. some of these consumer edge devices and bring in the care component right so it all it all fits into that that overall picture and plan you said your pa- your dad is uh, a diabetic uh, yeah. i recently found out my mom also is diabetic so my dad and my mom are type 2 diabetic and oh wow okay uh, and it does include both of my grandmoms <laughs> diabetic and oh. they've all got diabetes at a later stage my dad got it very early uh, he got it yeah. uh, i want to say 28 29 um he was oh, wow. diagnosed okay. with diabetes it's type 2 uh, so what this basically did for him and and which is very surprising and and i think a lot more can change is that one he started having to you know uh, inject insulin you know all on a daily basis and uh, and from that year uh, and and until recently i couldn't buy a health insurance for him uh yeah right because it completely changes yeah. the whole dynamic of what you can yeah. and cannot do uh, as you grow older and you know i i think it's an interesting uh, segment of users and and for the longest yeah. time they've not been ignored it's just that i think now there are more tools and there's more uh, understanding of how to solve for diabetes um and i've been reading a lot about uh, intermittent fasting and also yeah. about keto uh, about ketosis and how it's helping type 2 diabetics so yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm i'm i believe i'm just taking insurance for myself like in terms of knowledge of what i could do if i become diabetic um <laughs> <laughs> um but i think also yeah. on the on the country's glucot gluco monitor side uh there's an interesting learning too is is that there's a lot more casual uh users of the cgm uh globally uh and they yeah. call it biohacking uh, and, and maybe you have some friends who do those things i, I don't know if you've uh, i i'm sure you have but there's this whole global trend of the quantified self have you have you read about that yeah, right course, uh, yeah. the fitbits of the world drove it and then uh, you know cgm is one part so you know even with my team i feel that we also get blindsided many times so when when we were doing the cgm uh, you know partnership with abbot uh, we were we were thinking about who is the right target segment and i think that if we just consider the diabetics as the target segment i think we are we actually not not thinking about it the right way because the target segment is not diabetics it's you know everyone who is in a certain age group has a predisposition like i would love to figure out that how does uh, i would love to get counseling and go because it doesn't cost anything you know for 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 you and i getting a 3 4 5000 rupee device once and getting you know high quality counseling coaching to understand you know what we can change in our behavior routine diets etc to actually maybe delay the onset of the disease by a few years i think it's really valuable right and yeah. and this information is not available that easily so 
I'm very excited. I told my team that you know we should actually target everyone who could everyone. who could be interested in quantify itself, right? And uh, we have a new cardiac device coming. Uh, my dad is seven brothers. Five of them passed away due to cardiac uh, disorder. So oh, wow. I have that on my family as well. So I'm going to test that device as well. <laughs> so uh, to some extent, I think uh, I I feel like you know a kid in a candy shop trying out all these new devices and how they can make. you know they make healthcare accessible they they delay the risk by a few years and and that's really the best that we can do you know and get people more educated and goes ties back again beautifully with 1mg's vision you know of making healthcare understandable for folks so i'm very excited about these devices as you can tell uh, i too am because uh, you know as much as i am a, a gadget uh, geek you know I, i like to test out new things uh, i think these are things that actually make an impact and there's not enough uh, learnings also i believe uh, from the indian uh, context uh, because yeah. you know a lot of things that you read and and a lot of things that i've consumed have been uh, with a western context western right? yeah and yeah. in in terms of how certain foods impact glucose how a certain uh, you know activities impact glucose uh, i could be wrong and i don't think it's scientific but i also personally believe that uh, indians uh, you know uh, at least those who are predisposed to diabetes process food differently and differently yeah hence yeah. you can't choose the same uh, you know tools that have been given to you forever to also get to a solution right uh, yep. so if we need yep. test subjects you know i'll i'll yeah <laughs> 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 i i will make sure um, the team reaches out to you Yeah, I'll make sure Fantastic. that you reach about it. Yeah. Um, Garak, we've spoken a lot about Zynga and One MG. Yeah. Yeah. I read somewhere that you wanted to be a pilot, a fighter pilot somewhere. Yeah. How did it feel yeah. to when it up becoming an entrepreneur? Does it feel like you know riding a fighter jet or? Uh, you're flying by the seat of your pants all the time so i think that part is common uh, but i don't know i think i think uh, becoming a fighter pilot was my mom's uh, sort of ambition for me my dad was in the army he was a jawan so i think that was my yeah. mom's ambition more than my ambition and i think uh, i i at some point conveniently figured out how to you know skirt around that but you know for the longest time it it i'm i'm so fascinated i'm a gadget geek as well I'm fascinated by by airplanes and and uh, you know cars not not in terms of owning them but at least uh, fascinated by how they are built and and what goes behind them so yeah but it it does feel a little bit like being a you know flying by the feet of your pants today <laughs> um i can see behind you you have a a, a bookshelf overflowing uh, is that your bookshelf Yeah, that's my bookshelf. It's the one uh, I I realize that uh, I don't have much mater- much for material possessions, but uh, I love collecting books. I love buying books, and uh, I buy whatever I can get my hands on. I don't I don't get as much time to read. I maybe read a book a month, maybe two books a month mm. at most. Mm. But uh, mm. I I collect all sorts of books on all sorts of topics. Yeah, um, and there's more. There's there, more lying here and there. <laughs> uh, um, well, I'm I'm sure, like our listeners, uh, you know, if they're listening to it, 
do you have three books that you gift people? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think uh, of the books that I can I can think of right off the bat. I think uh, Sapiens is is a really fascinating book. So I read Sapiens maybe uh, maybe five maybe six years back um, when when actually not most people knew about it. So I read Sapiens then and I thought it was extremely fascinating. Uh, and you know in school. I think we all hated history as a subject which was so boring and morose but I find that some of the best stories are are that which are told as history. So I think uh Sapiens is is clearly a favorite. I think in fiction I don't read much fiction anymore but I think uh uh one other book which is very interesting is uh Gentleman in Moscow and there's there's actually a bunch more you know 100 years of solitude by gabriel garcia marquez or love in the time of cholera or any of the hoses or other books i think they're they're fascinating i try and stay away from business books um <clears throat> i feel that uh, i feel that there's so much more to learn than uh, than business uh, so i i stay away from those but i i mostly try and read about uh, you know science and uh, biology and and physics and math and philosophy so yeah so uh, have you gifted a lot of sapiens and uh, what's what's the other most common gift that you given no so i've uh, i've you know i don't unfortunately i don't gift much because uh, i'm very cynical <laughs> so i don't believe in yeah i don't believe in you know the birthdays and uh, and the anniversary celebrations ah. and everything so I don't gift much but yeah to my to my father in law who likes to read as well sapiens is one that I've gifted uh then uh I've uh, gifted him uh, the gentleman in moscow which he loved as well uh yeah so those are the those are two books that I frequently gift awesome hey gorav this has been amazing uh thanks so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me Um hey guys uh, you heard Gaurav Agarwal of 1MG on uh, your favorite startup startups podcast so don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for a lot more amazing entrepreneurs just like Gaurav right here